Hello, folks. Pull up a chair and join us on this adventure we call the Good Judgment Podcast. The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining and informative episode that you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. You know, Tane, now that you're the retired guy. Hey, what do you think of the ponytail? Man, you need to stop with that. (laughs) Um, Have you worked your way into a group of local senior citizens who gather at a at a restaurant and have coffee and biscuits and solve all the world problems. Huddle house. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we, they ran us out. We were meeting at the local Y because their coffee was free there. And finally they were like, none of y'all are members of the Y get out of here, go pay for coffee somewhere. So we had to go to huddle house. Yeah. So Tane, now today we're going to discuss bench conferences in some detail. Oh, that's awesome. You know my rule on bench conferences, Wade. We've discussed this topic as part of other episodes where we discuss criminal trial procedure, but we did want to specifically discuss bench conferences in a manner, uh, well, because they have been the subject of numerous appeals and and some very recent appeals, in fact. So you were, before you read, you were going to tell me your rule on bench conferences. Yeah, there ain't no such thing. See, that's, that's, that's my rule. That's so funny. I, I honestly didn't know. That's my rule. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I just tell lawyers at the beginning of a case, we're not having bench conferences. Like, you're not coming up. Because we had, like, this system where the court reporter could put on some headphones, and I could push this button that would make this white noise over the jury box. and went, and jurors would go to sleep because it sounded so soothing. And it never worked. And also... As we've talked about in other episodes, the defendant has a right to be present unless they waive it, which I never really sort of liked the blanket waiver uh, because I thought it was going to lead to a problem. Defendant, we don't want to talk about what we're about to talk about. You waive your right to be here? Yeah. We don't want you to hear that. Yeah. We don't want you to hear it. We're going to go up to the bench and talk about it. Uh, Yeah. So I just told lawyers, look, the jurors won't mind stepping back to the jury room. My jury room's like 20 feet from the box. You know, they'll go get a cup of coffee. And it'll be 20 minutes because everybody has to wee wee. Exactly. As soon as we say, Bailiff, we're ready to go. They're like, we got two in the yeah, restroom. We got two in the restroom. <laughs> but anyway, There's yes, that is, that is my rule. And Hopefully str- not together. No. <laughs> well, you know, never mind. So uh, your trial's moving along fine, Tane, yeah. and all of a sudden some lawyer stands up and asks to approach the bench. Yes. Now, that should make every judge who listens to this podcast and every judge everywhere, your spider sense is tingling. Yeah, spidey sense should be going off at that. I, you know... You have no idea what they want to talk about. You no. don't know if they want to ask for a bathroom break. You don't know if they want to argue that that uh, reversible error has occurred, right. that a juror's asleep. I mean, you have no idea why they want to talk to you. Yeah. So if you, if it was just a mundane question about time or, hey, are we going to go to lunch today or, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, then that would be one thing. But you don't know. It could be a substantive issue. Right. So and I have asked lawyers before, do you want to before I enforce my rule of no bench conferences, I would say, is this substantive? And, you know, their idea of substantive and mine might be different. Sure. So, you know, or they may not know what that means. That so, really might. So before we get into ha- how to handle these situations, you'll understand Tane and I both have a rule of no bench conferences. Right. Let's review the law and discuss the logic behind the law so that it becomes more clear as to why we have the rules that we've developed. But let's 
let's think about that in the context of the understanding that Wade and Tane are always right if we're on the same page. <laughs> like we must be right because we're both on the same page. But but we'll set that aside and we'll try to convince you with the upcoming logic of what we're saying. So, so the, the Georgia Constitution, Tane, yeah, guarantees defendants all kind of rights, but specifically the and it's the same right as in the U.S. Constitution. Right, these also. are the same. So what is it? The right to be present, and that means to see and hear all the proceedings which are had against him or her on the trial before the court. That's what Reed versus State said, an important case that's cited in our in our outline from 2022, a recent case. Uh, there's also a 2021 case, uh, Steen versus State, and another case, recent law, uh, 10 years ago, but Zamora versus State, that is a pretty prominent case on this topic. So all of those have addressed this issue uh, and said, look, the defendant has an opportunity to be present at a right to be present at all the proceedings. Now, the defendant has a right to be a present, not merely in the room, but during every, every critical stage, and we've talked about the whole critical stage argument before, right. the right attaches at any stage of a criminal proceeding that is critical to the outcome if the defendant's presence would contribute to the fairness of the procedure. And Tane, I think that since there's so many sites in this outline, we'll just tell people the sites are in the outline and let them look it up if they need, if, if this is something they're, that they're on, have an issue with. And as always, you can find those at goodjudgepod.com. Word. So... Where this rule does not apply. So this rule is blanket. You have a right to be present for everything. Where it does not apply. Basically, there are some situations where the failure to accommodate that right is not reversible error. Now, it doesn't mean the defendant does not have a right to be present. It's just not reversible error not to do it in certain 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 circumstances. Yeah, and, and folks, you know, we talk to judges on this. I know a lot of other people listen to this podcast too, but, you know, let's don't play the, well, if it's not reversible error, I'm just going to go ahead and do it <laughs> anyway game. I mean, you don't want to be that close to the line, okay? Because at some point it may become reversible error because of the case you're trying. So, Tane, there's stuff that we talk about that the defendant is looking around like a tennis match. You're right. He has no idea what those words even mean or how it applies to him. He's just hoping he's winning. Yeah. So, so the cases all say when the defendant's presence would barely to to shadow counsel that there's really nothing substantive for the defendant to do see or hear the defendant may not necessarily have a right to be present for that but back to your point earlier Tane how do you know right and and think about it too what you're saying okay we're going to have a bench conference and in order not to violate the defendant's right to be present we're going to invite the defendant up to the bench during trial i mean my, my security folks are not really excited about that <laughs> my court reporter would strangle yeah them. the people that they're leaning over while we're having yeah. the bench and conference. she's trying to like <laughs> work her way in and like hear what he said and hear what she, and you're not you're trying not to say it loud enough so the jury hears it yeah because let's let's not forget folks um, unless they've waived the right for it to be part of the transcript of the case, somehow it's got to get in the transcript. So either so go back to that Reed case. Yeah, that case. They had 26 bench conferences mm -hmm. during the trial. Mm -hmm. Nothing was on the record. Zero was recorded. Exactly. They tried to go back and recreate it. And the lawyers and the judge could not triangulate and agree on what was discussed where. Right. So they were making these inferences from the surrounding conversation. But, Tane, how many times have you been talking about, you know, 
I don't know, Vordaer during during the um, bench conference and somebody during the excuse me during the trial and somebody come up and ask something completely yeah, obtuse it, to that. It, it's not always sequential. It's no. not always a comprehensive. So, yeah. So so anyway, that's we're we're leading up to the ultimate conclusion we've already told you, which is why Wade and I don't have those conferences or didn't have those conferences. But but let's go back and talk about a few other you know rights the defendant has in other situations. So the record needs to. Re- Reveal, as you just said, what was discussed during that bench uh, conference. But some of you may be better at remembering all your different trials and all that I am. Right. But I will admit to you that during a jury trial, my mind is going a thousand different directions. I'm looking up uh, jury charges. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to anticipate why my pro se defendant just said something crazy. Right. I'm trying to decide, you know, when we're going to go to lunch and 50 other things. Yeah, you may have just been handed a note from your staff attorney about something unrelated. I mean, you know, yeah, we're trying to we're trying to, you know, handle a lot of different things all at the same time. And and me remembering at the end of this trial if there's a conviction what we talked about in the third bench conference in the morning, there's no shot. That's right. So I guess that's why I decided a long time ago just to outlaw them. That and the logistics of having the defendant up there and the court reporter turn around and the whole thing. I just outlawed. Well, and that's what I was saying earlier. I mean, I realized early on we had we had this elaborate, you know, kind of state of the art system where, you know, there was a microphone that was omnidirectional that the lawyers were supposed to come up and crowd around. And it was on the opposite side of the bench from where the jury box was. And then the court reporter had to put on some headphones and try to listen. And every time they did that, they said, I I can't hear. Judge, I can't hear. Judge, I cannot hear what they're saying. And, you know. Not being able to make a record because of that is a whole lot worse than asking the jury to step out of the room and just put it all on the record. And everybody can speak in full voice and you can look something up and people go to the bathroom and you don't have to whisper. And and again, you know, let's think about it from a constitutional standpoint. What a novel idea. Yeah. Lawyer comes up to the bench without the client he represents. Client loses the case, goes to jail for life. Maybe the client starts to think the lawyer sold him down the river somehow during the trial. I mean, if he doesn't or she doesn't know what was said at the bench, maybe they think there's a grand conspiracy going on. They might be wrong, but they don't know because nobody can tell them what happened when they were up at the bench. And what I used to try to do after those conferences, even if it was you know on the record with our high-tech technology, is at the next break, I would actually say... When the bench conference was held a few minutes ago, we discussed X, Y, and Z, and I ruled, you know, the following. And do you, lawyer, do you agree? Lawyer, do you agree? Exactly. And I would say, is it, counsel, is that what we discussed? Yes, it is. Is that what I said to you? Yes, it is. And and, and we put that on the record. Well, that takes as much time as sending the dang jury out, unless they all exactly. go to the restroom. Well, they're so. all going to go, but you got to go potty too. So exactly. Right. Yeah. So we got to take a break. So let's talk about this presumed <clears throat> prejudice because the cases say this right to be present, to be present for the defendant to be present is so important. It cannot. It, it, it's if it's not waived expressly by the defendant, there is a presumption of prejudice. Yeah, and there's some cases there that uh, that are pretty stern on that uh, in terms of of why that is. Um, The court does differentiate a little bit, though. It says, however, there is a critical difference between the right protected by the Georgia Constitution and the corresponding federal constitutional right under governing United. Under the federal law, they can be harmless error. Yes, exactly. Under Uh, the Georgia Constitution? Not not at all. That's right. So and so basically for the right to be present belongs to the defendant. He can waive it. He or she can waive it. Right. But 
that that and that waiver can be expre- express or implied, right? Mm-hmm. Right. But if you ever find yourself in one of these sessions, uh, situations where you're trying to prove acquiescence, that's a great word, isn't it? Yeah. It actually comes from the. Greek word aqua, meaning water, and the word essence, which means taste. So together it means taste like water, you know, nothing. Are you, are you making that up? No. <laughs> if you're trying to prove acquiescence by the defendant, one of the things you're going to have to establish, and I kind of made this joke, I think it, I don't know if it was before we talked or now. How can the defendant waive his right to be present if you don't know what you're about to talk about? Right. I, I mean, that's that's why I never liked the blanket waiver at the outset of trial. And that's the way a lot of judges, quote unquote, fix this problem of having the defendant come up to the bench is they say, hey, if your lawyer's present at the bench conference, are you OK with not being able to be present too?" Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> well, again, you don't know if we're going to discuss when the next bathroom break is going to be or whether we're going to discuss, you know, whether you have a constitutional right to take the witness stand. I mean, I, you know, I just I, I was always troubled by that. Yeah. And so waivers can be expressed or implied through acquiescence, obviously, mm-hmm. but a waiver cannot be applied, implied. And these are some cases that are cited in the outline available on goodjudgepod.com that where that says, you know, you can't imply that waiver when the, you don't have some evidence the defendant knew what the conversation was about. And there's a whole line of cases um, that that kind of go through that and kind of talk through what Tane talked about, which is putting the, the subject of the bench conference on the record, having the parties agree. And and I would strongly encourage the judges out there, if, if you're inclined to have bench conferences, and I know some people just love them, uh, I would strongly encourage you at the next break to put something on the record about what you talked about at the bench conference, even if your court reporter ostensibly has the ability to catch what was said in whispered tones uh, up at the bench. So, Tane, I don't know about you, but one of the the places in trial where I've had the most requests for, hey, judge, can we approach right quick, mm-hmm. is Vordar. Yeah, yeah, because things come up and they don't want to move, you know, 48 people out of the room if you're during general questioning or something. So, Tane, um, that's a critical stage. It is. It is a critical we've stage. we established it, that the right to be president applies at all critical stages. Well, and this is kind of an aside, Wade, but um, that difference is one of the reasons that during COVID we determined that we couldn't have uh, jury selection by Zoom for criminal cases. It scares me sometimes how similar our brains work and people, it's really a scary, scary place. (laughs) Um, We come at it in different ways. I was literally thinking that same thing is that when they said that the right to be present involves the defendant being able to see and hear everything, including, and I think there was some case law that says the beads of sweat on the witness's brow. Right. That's why you can't have remote um, jury selection or witness testimony, you know, trials. I I don't want to get in. I know some of our colleagues are having remote jury selection. I don't want to say that's outlawed. I don't know. I, you know, this and this, and to be fair, all of this is criminal law stuff. Right. And, and, and that's and what I'm saying. Civil cases, I, I don't know, but all of this is criminal law. Well, you, you and I were of one mind during Zoom, I mean, during Zoom, during COVID that, you know, doing a, doing a remote jury selection for a criminal case probably just wasn't something you and I wanted to uh, engage in, even given the exigencies of the circumstances. We the just unprecedented situation that yeah. we haven't had as a country ever. Yeah. 
Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification. Folks, this is Wade and Tane. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast, and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And tell your friends it's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience. So many times I've had to correct lawyers who will say, um, hey, juror, if you have something private you would like to tell the judge, you can just let us know and you can come up to the bench and we'll talk about it. No, no we're not. No, that no, ain't how that works. We're not. <laughs> um, and, that, and that's usually an awkward situation. Um, I, I do interrupt and I say, look, I'm not going to be, a, I'm not going to be in a position to allow that. Now, to be clear, if there is a circumstance that begs for some juror to have some confidential medical situation or whatever, that still has to be said in the presence of the defendant. Right. In open court, you don't get to close the court because somebody has cancer or, or worse and they have a medical condition they don't feel comfortable talking about. Mm-hmm. You can have the person come back after all the other jurors are gone. Right, outside the presence of the other jurors. But not out of the presence of the defendant, not out of the presence of the lawyers, not out of the presence of the public. Yeah, my my pre uh, you know, my my pretrial charge to the jurors always said you can you can ask to speak about certain things outside the presence of your fellow jurors. Which but means, not out of the presence of the public. Right, which means we're still gonna be in the courtroom, it's still gonna be open. And, uh, you know, we're just going to move the other 12 or 47 people or however many it is out of the courtroom. So, Tim, one of the cases that we talked about was Reed. Right. Tell the folks what happened in Reed that caused one of the initial concerns by the sure. appellate court. Yeah. The trial judge asked if any jurors had hardship requests and with at least one of those types of requests allowed the potential juror to approach the bench. The colloquy was recorded by the court reporter. But think about this. The defendant wasn't there. It was just a colloquy that the judge had with the juror. And it, and it, uh, there was a question as to whether the judge's decision to release that juror based upon a medical hardship was done in open court or as a part of the discussion at the bench. Regardless, though, the defendant wasn't present for part of that discussion. He was not at the bench during that conversation about that juror's medical situation. In a different case called Champ, the state Supreme Court of Georgia held that the defendant has a right to be present at bench conference involving or related to direct discussions between the trial court and prospective jurors and any decisions to remove prospective jurors. Yes, they're not a juror yet, but even that decision, the defendant has a right to be present for. Yeah. Both of those cases were decided based upon a waiver of the right of the defendant to be present due to the lack of objection by either the defendant or defendant's counsel. In other words, nobody objected. When what an happened. interesting concept, Tane. Yeah. We have this whole thing that says if you're represented by counsel, you can't represent yourself, right? Right. But we say, well, if you didn't raise an objection, you've waived that objection. Right. We've acquiesced. Right. 
But normally we'd tell you to be quiet. You don't. You have the right to represent yourself. Yeah, that was that was the dilemma that I had with that too. Was what's the defendant supposed to do if their lawyer approaches the bench? Jump up and say, "Judge, I object to my lawyer going up there without me." I'm exactly. That's in the McCollum challenges, Tane. You know, calling the lawyers to the bench after the jury selection process and say, "Hey." Y'all got any Batsum and McCollum challenge? You got any? You got any? Okay, no. We're okay. Y'all can step back. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm just going to tell you, I would never do that. Ever. I would never, ever do that. There, there are a couple of places like that in the trial, and I just find that to be one of those critical. And I know we gloss over it probably mostly because we're praying and hoping that there isn't a Batson or a McCollum challenge, but it's something that needs to be done on the record and in front of the defendant. And, and I specifically tell lawyers, and you may do something similar, before the trial start, look, at the end of jury selection, I'm going to ask you if you have any objection to the manner or method in which a jury was selected. That's so weird, Wayne. You and I do that exactly the same and way. And that's your occasion. If you want to have a Batson and McCollum challenge, if you don't if you don't raise it, it's waived and we're moving on. You mm-hmm. understand? You understand? Okay, mm-hmm. good. Yeah. So hopefully we don't have judges who are conducting actual Batson hearings at the bench conferences. I think the issue is whether asking there is whether there is a potential Batson or McCollum challenge being made at from the bench. And if so, then conducting the actual hearing in full voice out in the full courtroom with the jury out. Exactly. But please, I, I just I just I just think that's just fraught with danger. I do too. So evidentiary rulings, Tane. Um, there are cases where trial courts have made evidentiary rulings, like whether the defendant's witness opened the door to character evidence concerning the accused. And the defendant wasn't present for that. Yeah. And, and, and you can see where this happens, folks. We've all been in a trial where something comes up where somebody thinks there's a door that's been opened to to introduce evidence. Maybe it was something that was discussed pre-trial, and the, and the judge said, okay, well, if the door's open, I need you to approach the bench and let me know, or I need you to... I, you know, I would suggest you not do that. I would just have the lawyer say, judge, there's something we need to take up outside the presence of the jury. So that's this all Bru- they have to say. This Bruner case that's in the outline, the, the judge actually made a ruling on a 404B motion outside the presence of the jury. The defendant. I mean, excuse me, by, by the defendant. Not at the bench conference. Just to, like in in some other place. So like they had a hearing and the defendant wasn't even there. Correct. Ooh, yeah. Problem. Um, Supreme Court said, look, if all op- if all rulings that judges make had to be open and be made in open court, you could never issue a written order. Right. You could never like take it under advisement and issue an order. Right. They found that that that's clearly not the case um, because we have to do that all the time. Therefore, there's no violation where the judge issued a ruling outside the defendant's presence. Mm-hmm. Give share the folks with our word of wisdom for the day. Uh, our word of wisdom is: if you're ruling on a motion during the actual trial, do it in the presence of the defendant. It's just too easy to avoid this issue on appeal. And again, I mean, it is not nearly the hassle that you may think it is to have the jurors step out of the room. <laughs> it just it's just not that big a deal. No. Now, communication with the jurors, Tane. We, we I'm sure you've had notes handed to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's our rule about whenever a note is handed to you from a juror uh, or comes from the bailiff? We put a sticker on it and we hand it to the court reporter after we read it into the record. If you read it, then you better put a sticker on it. That's right. And make it a part of the record. <laughs> I, didn't Beyonce say that? No, it's a ring. She was oh, looking for a ring, oh, not that's a sticker. Right. All you single ladies. Um, so basically the judges are expected to forego ex parte communications with jurors. I, I know that sounds shocking. Um, in a in a 
case that comes up pretty regular, I guess it's Hanifa, H-A-N-I-F-A, mm-hmm. versus a state. The Supreme Court said, we state again, all communications with the jurors are expected or just are to, excuse me, all communications with the jury are to be discouraged except in open court and with all persons present. Right. And, and, and look, folks, I understand how this can happen. Many times the jurors file back and forth past your office to get to the jury room. The bailiffs are bringing them in, or maybe your entrance to get onto the bench goes right past where the entrance to the jury room is or the bathroom or whatever. You've just got to be steadfast in, in you know, avert your eyes, make no eye contact with them, and just, you know, move back and forth. If you mean that like you normally do with all your colleagues? Yeah, exactly. Uh, if you're <laughs> if if they're coming up the hallway, dug back in your office. You know, all right, so somewhere. this has happened to me, and it may have happened to you. In Bruner, the issue was the trial judge received a note during the lunch break from a juror who had a family emergency, mm-hmm. like that it broke during the lunch break. Nobody's there to talk to. Mm-hmm. The judge made the decision, and as he called it, the command decision, to release the juror and then immediately reported that decision to the lawyers after court resumed after the recess. Mm -hmm. The the defendant admittedly was not present for that, but neither was anybody else. Exactly. And I actually had exactly this situation happen one time. We had a juror who came the morning of trial and said to the bailiff— my father just had a stroke and is in an ambulance on the way to Kennestone Hospital. It's 15 minutes before the lawyers are supposed to be there or the defendant or anyone else. And I'm told the bailiff to tell the juror, go. And and I knew that, you know, it might be a problem if somebody objected or, you know, whatever. But I had to make a decision and I made it and I was OK with it. Well, so interestingly... The judge, upon telling everybody in Bruner that that happened immediately after lunch, guess what he did? He said, lawyers, y'all have any problem with that? And both lawyers said, no, judge, no objection. Now that's a way of Exactly. And that's the same thing I did. We went in the, it, we went in the uh, courtroom. Parties were, I think it was a civil case, but the parties were present. And I said, here's what happened, folks. Does anybody have any issue with that? No, judge, we don't. Uh, you know, we substituted a, 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 a juror in the in their place and went right on. All right. Anyway, so, next. so basically the way that we've handled this, we've talked about it at length. It's set out in the memo that, excuse me, in the outline that you can find at goodjudgepod.com that I just think it's too easy to send everybody out, talk, talk everybody out, talk in full voice, then take your bathroom break that corresponds with that or whatever, <laughs> right. and then come back and you'll be good. Now, as a side note, so we have a colleague, Tane, and, and tell the people that that have not been through NJO with us what we tell our NGO, NJO students if they ever find themselves in the middle of deep water. Um, that they can call us. Or send us a 911 <laughs> text. text right? One of us would get to them as fast as we could. Right. You can't do that anymore. That's right. I cannot talk to judges about trials. But... I can, and I have. And right. recently, in a in a in a nine one one text, I just have my phone forwarded to you now. Is basically what I do. Great. Are you getting a lot of calls no, about your your, wa- wife, your warranty? Your wife is really mad. You didn't bring home any bread. Um, in a your trial, warranty is expiring too. I wanted to <laughs> let you know that. Yeah. The judge had a jury come back in the courtroom, and in the presence of the jury, the judge noted that the defendant was present and unshackled. Oops. Immediate motion for mistrial. Right. Of course. Judge said, 
oh my gosh, Judge, how bad have I screwed up? And I'm like, eh, we'll be all right. I mean, there is case law that says that actually the juror seeing the defendant in shackles is not reversible error per se. Right. So the fact that you said the word unshackled and they put together all that meant, what all that meant, I mean, it's not awesome. No. But we worked through it and we did a, and we, we offered everybody a, a curative instruction and they didn't want it and, you know, all of that. Sure. But I bring this up to make the larger point, Tane. It's a good idea to make a record after a recess who is present in the courtroom and who's not. Your court reporter doesn't necessarily do that. No, no, they're, and they're not required to. And so what I'll typically say is, all right, we're back on the record after lunch. The defendant is present. Lawyers are present. What do we have? We have, we have anything else we need to do before the jury comes in? Yeah, I think that's a great idea, Wade, because I, I didn't normally do that. I, I think it's really good, at least periodically note everybody's here. Just maybe in front of the jury, don't mention restraints or lack <laughs> <Yeah>. thereof. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So that's all for our podcast episode dealing with bench conferences and criminal cases. And to recap, we've basically discussed that defendants' right to be present extends to all critical stages of the trial team. That's right. And while the right exists under both the U.S. and the Georgia constitutions, under the Georgia constitution, there is a presumed prejudice when there is a violation of the defendant's right to be present at a critical stage. Now, the defendant can waive his or her presence and either expressly or impliedly or through acquiescence, but you better make a record, team. That's exactly right. And, and don't forget, you can conduct bench conferences, but the substance of that conference must make its way onto the record or be prepared to attempt to recreate it all as a part of a motion for new trial, which I'm going to tell you is darn near impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. The outline uh, that we've used today and all of our outlines is available at goodjudgepod.com, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at your leisure. 365, baby. So, uh, yeah. And also, please reach out to us on goodjudgepod at gmail.com with all of your podcast topic ideas or any comments that you have about the podcast. We love to hear how much you love and enjoy our podcast. Tane, since you've been retired, you've become a LinkedIn guy. Yeah, yeah, I'm big on LinkedIn now. And we got and we have a spot for and the we, Good Judge Pod. We do. We have a LinkedIn uh, page for the Good Judge po- Good Judgment Podcast. So please go to our LinkedIn page and if you want to follow us on there um, in the near future, you will get uh, updates when the new episodes come out. With that, I'm Wade Padgett. and I'm Tane Kell. Wait, did you know that the Thompson Twins was not actually a two-person band? At times, they had up to seven members, but they were best known as a trio from 1982 to 1986. Well, if you didn't, now you know. Thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. We try our best to give you actionable information, but in a format that does not make you want to hurt yourself. Two thoughts. Some topics allow us the latitude to be a little bit more fun. Number two, if we failed you, we will try to do our best to do better in the next episode. We know that you have lots of choices and we're honored that you chose us this time. We're kind of amazed to be totally honest. This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former director, the executive director of ICJE. Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law my new part-time employer. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped edit out some of our stupidity and awkwardness. But hey, nobody can get it all. Thanks to our unsung hero, Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises all along, but we didn't. So 
Tain and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges all across Georgia. Wade and I are also grateful to the State Justice Institute who allow us to do this through their generosity. You know that these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, SJI, CSCJ, the University of Georgia College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact someone else with your complaints. But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Please visit our website, goodjudgepod.com, for all our episode outlines and more details about our podcasts. Some of you send emails asking for copies of the outlines. Seriously, people, they're available 24-7, 365 at the website, goodjudgepod.com. And we say that like 20 times during every broadcast. But seriously, you can upload or download or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule and at your convenience. Once again, I'm Wade Padgett. And as always, I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening.